I've lived a thousand lives. I've piloted a thousand souls. I've killed and fought and died just for another goal. This is the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast, a roundtable discussion that's a mix of friendship, humor, unbridled enthusiasm, and tabletop RPG topics sent in from around the world. Once again, I've wrested the means of production from Captain Kimmy, and I come to you bringing a brand new podcast. Yar. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Season 31, Episode 15 of the Happy Jacks RPG Podcast. I'm Nick. I'm Jameson. I'm Mike. And I'm Jim. Hey, there we are. In today's episode, Steffi from Scotland replies to our discussion about mystery games. Virk from DC asks for recommendations for games besides D&D that have the vibe and flavor. And Blake shares a horror story from his first gaming group. If you'd like to continue to contribute a question or story for the show, email us at happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. I swear to you, I can in fact speak. That's happyjacksrpg at gmail.com. So, if you weren't aware, because you haven't been listening for the past several weeks, Happy Jacks will be at Strategicon 2023. That is the one labeled Orcon. That's February 17th through 20th at the Hilton LAX in Los Angeles. We have a couple of special guests tonight, Mike and Jim, who can uh, go ahead and talk about the con. Tell us what you know. Well, we're a long-running uh, set of conventions. We run three a year, Orcon, GameX, and Gateway in February, March, and September. Um, May. We, May, not March, uh, May. Uh, sorry, March, May. Uh, sorry, February, May, and September. It's one of those M months, right? But in any case, we are a full tabletop gaming convention with just about any type of game you'd like, uh, whether it's a board game, collectible game, role-playing game, LARP, just about anything that you need. And we run from Friday to Monday continuously, no stopping. It's uh, sort of a marathon of gaming. I personally am the uh, supervisor of the RPG department, and Mike is the supervisor of the uh, miniatures department, as well being uh, our event coordinator. And we'd like to invite uh, anybody who wants to come out to our convention to come have some fun and see what we're all about. I mean, if you're into RPGs, we got so much going on. Everything Savage Worlds, Morkborg, First Edition D&D, DC RPGs, Paranoia, all your venerable classics and a lot of your the new hot stuff. I got so much Call of Cthulhu, it, I think I lost sand just putting the schedule together. <laughs> no, we got Fate of Cthulhu and several editions of the game, a lot of stuff going on there. We even have Octum Cthulhu, the, the World War One version of it. So if you're looking for variety and trying to experience some new kinds of games outside of your regular D&D Pathfinder-type offerings, come see me. But if you like D&D and Pathfinder, we also have one of the biggest Adventures League and Pathfinder Society get-togethers at these conventions as well so you're free to come play that um, yeah we literally have four different rpg departments based on what your flavor is whether it's live action everything else that jim covers your adventures league pathfinder or starfinder they're all there yeah it's a great way to spend a weekend and play as many games as you possibly can fit into the four-day weekend from friday to monday so what are you two most personally interested and excited about well i'm trying i'm gonna see if i try to get into that new blade runner game Ooh, uh, that looks good because I, I read the book and, and it looks fantastic and also you know one of my favorite settings of all time i can remember when my dad took me to see the original movie it was just freaking fantastic 
let's see what else am I looking forward to? I'm looking forward to seeing how much further we can ruin the world in our pandemic legacy game that we play every single con. Yeah, the pandemic and legacy game. We, picked we it up start like the staff to do it on the day before the con starts, and it turns out the version that I bought from our dealer room on sale was the Jumanji version because two sessions into this game, when we get the incurable disease that just happened to start in China, when everything got locked down. Oh. <laughs> so we figure we have to finish it for all this crap to end. So we're working our way through I it. Couldn't find which which one was. The but that's our Thursday. Yeah, but so not to mention, and most importantly of all, the fantastic people here at Happy Jacks are actually coming back to the convention post COVID. They're going to do their live uh, show, running down all the different games that were run and played within the group and and throughout the con. And I just want to personally thank you guys for coming back and. And being part of the events here at Strategicon, we were sorely missed during the year hiatus, and uh, we're very glad to have you guys back. Hey, we're very excited to be there again. This is our our local con. We love supporting it. We love coming out and and uh, running games and meeting people and having a good time. Yeah, yeah. But not only that, but your fan base is is fantastic too, and they come in here and they they just elevate everything that that goes on here. It's just fantastic to see. So, you know, this this community that you guys have built around this fantastic hobby has done nothing but sort of positively impact and, and completely reinforce everything that I've been trying to do with this department for the years that I've been here and trying to promote inclusivity, trying to promote a dynamic and more vibrant offering of different types of styles of storytelling, that kind of thing. And you guys are all about that and you bring that to bear. And it just makes for a fantastic gaming experience all around. We're finally feeling like this convention is coming back from the hibernation that it had to go through. We had to do oh, yeah. several virtual conventions and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But everything that we've seen so far and all of the pre-registrations and all that stuff, it's been going insane. And we've been so incredibly happy to see that kind of activity come back and, and have that super fantastic, lively con when all you see is just smiling faces walking down every corridor. It, it's really, I just, I'm a happy eight-year-old for four days. <laughs> It's just freaking fantastic. So, yeah. So we're very much looking forward to that. And anything to add there, Mike? Well, I, I just want to say that the I'm really hoping to get to play in the Cyborg game going on. Because while I, Morkborg is cool, and I've, I've went down that rabbit hole. I like the cyberpunk version of it. Ooh. Which, I, look, the nice thing is, is from my point of view, is I see every event that comes in at every department. That's what I do there. And when that popped up, I'm like, I need to register for that. <laughs> I don't know if I can, but I'm going to try. And on a side note, my son has grown up basically at con. And I know for a fact he's excited about the uh, My Hero Academia game that's going on. Yeah, that's the card game, right? Oh, cool. No, 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 it was oh, no. an RPG. It's an RPG. There is a card game, yes. I'm sure that's there too. Whoa. But there's an RPG. The day it came in, I sent it to him. I go, you want to sign up for that? Uh, that plays Saturday at, in the morning, I think. Taking I notes Saturday. Yeah, right? <laughs> and, well, that's the part that I really enjoy is because there's always... Full disclosure, I am a rules junkie. I own more rule books for miniatures and well, games in general. But I, I was telling these guys earlier, I, I've been purchasing a great many independent RPGs off of Kickstarter just for the PDFs, just so I can have them, that kind of stuff. And then to see them pop up on the schedule, it's like, oh, I kind of kind of like to go play that. I don't have the time to do that, but still. But the fact that he's got to multiple times, like, because he's, Jim got him into Atomic Robo, and he got oh, to play nice. Atomic uh-huh. Robo with the designer. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So that kind of stuff is cool. I get to see fun stuff like that through his eyes and hopefully weasel in a game or two for myself. <laughs> the, the, 
The only thing I don't like about signing up to run games is you don't know what everyone else is doing, so you always find that you schedule your game when there's the game that you really want to play in. Oh, I had a GM <laughs> that begged me to move her game because she wanted to play in another one, but she already had full pre-reg for the game that she had. Wow. Oh, oh that's the worst, because, yeah, that's hard to do. Yeah, it's already popular. Everybody else. You really want to disappoint these people that are already excited about your game, and yes. she decided to run it. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about me! But, yeah. There's so much going on. Sometimes it's an embarrassment of riches. I'm still at around 100 events. I was used to more like 150 pre-COVID, but this is definitely an upswing. And just the raw variety that I got this time around, sorry about that, (laughs) is astonishing. Like I said, Cyborg, I would have never expected that that to be run so soon after its release here. But I'm very proud of the fact that I have a department that runs so many incredibly great sort of small form games not only to mention that but what tomes does down in games on demand oh yeah oh right Mm -hmm. the fifth rpg department i forgot about games on demand uh (laughs) because he has some stuff there i swear i've walked away just going i've just lived in a dreamscape what just (laughs) happened no those games are are fantastic and if you ever played in a game that tomes runs he is literally one of the most creative and fantastic gms i've I've ever played with that one the reason i recruited him is because he ran this the Star Frontiers Lego game where every single section of the ship was its own Lego block thing. And it would be just the, the frame of the ship. So when you'd open the door, he'd actually take the entire room made out of Lego, place it down on the table, and your little uh, minifigs got to explore it. And I know. I'm so a- angry I didn't get to play in that. <laughs> I, that is one of the times that I really super cheated to get into the game and just wrote my name in before anybody else could because <laughs> I get the sheets first because I make them. And I don't feel bad about it at all. It Nor should you. Fantastic. Yeah. The, the amount of hell we got to go through to put this thing on. I'm okay to abuse <laughs> my power right now and then. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I, that's I, absolutely fair. I only do it every once in a while, but that was definitely the, the one that was worth it. And he also did a, uh, do you remember that game that he did with it? That was based on the app game for the post-apocalyptic. I can't remember the name of it. But anyways, he did another one that was basically a Lego side scroller. And the sections of the Lego would move as a, on, from side to side as you moved along the dungeon. The guy is just amazing. Uh, Super fun. And, yeah. Oh, and the last thing I'd like to mention, if you're also interested in miniatures painting, I am going to be doing a demonstration of the under shading or slap chop uh, method of speed painting, a full demo where I will go through all of the steps necessary to create a very well-painted mini in about 15 to 20 minutes. So that'll be fun too. Cool. Any other announcements or anything that you want to talk about? Well, I could go on all night. I mean, we just have... So many of the old stuff is back. So much new stuff is back. We're having, let's see. So, of course, there's the RPG podcast. We have two separate magic shows with a guy who's got over 500 shows at the Magic Castle. Wow. He's doing like a full-on stage comedy and magic show, but there's also, I think, the Saturday night one. He's It's all, it's like 25 people only because they all got to gather up because it's all close-up magic stuff. We have an improv group coming in. They've got a stage show they're doing on Saturday night opposite the podcast. Jeez, what else? The usual Also, favorites. the magician is writing first edition D D on Sun- at Sunday at two. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it's a module he wrote back in the day. So he's <laughs> oh, also running cool. a werewolf game, which I'm actually interested to see what that looks like because this guy's obviously a showman. Mm-hmm. And so I'd be interested to see what, how he handles a pack of unruly uh tweens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope that the improv troupe has something like you can call out RPG genres or specific games. They're and nerds. They have to, right. They're nerds. So I'm, I'm fairly certain it's, it's in Stop. that way. Shadowrun. <laughs> there it is in the chat. Fallout <laughs> Shelter Lego Edition. That's It was Fallout Shelter. Oh. But yeah, you know, and then 
of course, the one of the more fun you'll have at the con, uh, Circus Maximus, where everybody gets to yell. I don't know if you guys can ever hear that upstairs, but that's us. Okay. The board gamers hate us. <laughs> that is the one event I get complaints about and have for years, and I refuse to change it because that's that's con condition. That was from back when I was a kid. That was a thing. That's cool. It's neat to have something that's so long running like that. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, with the guy who did it for a long time retired, moved to Florida, took all the stuff with him. So we had like a couple of cons. We didn't have it. It was just weird. There wasn't people being loud. And so we, we brought it all back. And for those of you who have kids who like Nerf, we have a basically a, a two two-hour sessions of Nerf combat up on one of the, the, the patios upstairs that the LARPs puts on because their, their games are always fun too. Ranged buffer battle, man. Yeah, and the theme of Team Fortress too. So, and also we have Saber Legion back, right? Oh, that's right. Saber Legion's coming back too. Yeah, A- actual have... fighting with light with like Lexan lightsabers. Yeah, it's not like your cinematic sort of like ballet type of thing. These are guys that actually practice German longsword, rapier, kendo, eskrima, all these different actual martial arts, and but use the lightsaber weapons. So it's one of those great sort of like it's basically a sword using mixed martial art hmm. when you really look at it. Because you actually see a lot of those techniques sort of go after each other. Watching somebody that practices German longsword versus somebody that does rapier, it's a very interesting fight. I bet. I bet. Yeah. And it's an actual tournament. It's a different thing because this is actually multiple groups coming together to have their first kind of inter-group tournament. And they're doing it it, both days. All right. So I'll I'll have to look that up. Yeah. That's super fun to watch, especially when you get a couple of the guys that are really, really good at it. Oh, yeah. It's those skirmishes go on for like five minutes and it's just these blades flying around. It's really kind of intense and cool. And they have to wear all of the safety gear as well and stuff. And it, most of it is like BMX bike stuff and all that. It's just neat to see what they've cobbled together. And then they actually put like costumes over it to make it look more Star Wars-y. So it's a great experience. It really is. Okay. Well, I'm going to stop it here because all the people who aren't going to get to go to the con or who are listening to this after the con is over and hopefully already enjoyed that. I don't want them to feel too much FOMO going on. Yeah. Here. I was going to say, sorry for the FOMO. Yeah. yeah. But one last point, we're right next to LAX and there's a shuttle to the hotel from the airport. So just saying. Yeah. 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 See you, see yeah. you all in May. <laughs> that's right. Now that you know, <laughs> we'll see you next time. And that's half the battle. Right. So once again, we are celebrating our indie designer of the month. And that Yay. is Jennifer Adcock. Jen Adcock. 15.itch.io slash owlnightgames. This week's feature game is hospitality. Hospitality is one of the most important virtues and values in the magical realm, but the rules of hospitality are not the same for all. In this two-player game, you play a fairy and a vampire enjoying a pleasant social visit over tea, but no tea party is ever just tea when fairies and vampires are involved, and you must also navigate the complexities of your relationship and the power struggle therein. It's currently $2.99 on gen-adcock15.itch.io, and that sounds amazing. I know I've read some little shorts about that with the idea that that coming into a fairy's home puts you in their domain, but inviting a vampire in puts it in their domain so that you've got like this neat dichotomy. I bet you've got some... That sounds like an amazing dynamic. It's like 4D chess right there. Yeah. So if it's... (laughs) And tea. And tea. Mm -hmm. So. So everyone, if that interests you at all, go ahead and check that out at gen-adcock15.itch.io and go ahead and give it a download. We all think that it sounds great. And now, what you've all been waiting for, mailbag number one. I'm going to let you know that this email is so long, we're going to break it into parts because we have a ton of pages on it. So I'm going to go ahead and start. 
and then we'll uh, go from there. Greetings, Kimmy and those who lurk in the looming shadow. It is I, Steffi from Scotland. In season 31, episode 7, you were asked about mysteries. The current host admitted that wasn't their strength and gave helpful advice for doing mysteries for which there is no one true answer. I'm done with that. Thank you. <laughs> uh, for people who are interested in mysteries in that style, I highly recommend Brindlewood Bay. It is a PBTA game following the Golden Girls, investigating Murder, She Wrote style mysteries, and falling deeper into a Lovecraft-style one. The mysteries are worked out by theorizing based on clues given and ruling with a modifier based on how many clues you have to fit your theory. I hate it. <laughs> I want the one true answer. I'm not saying that improv GMs need to change their style, but keep me in the dark. I don't want to solve... I want to solve a mystery, not ramble a bunch of conspiracy nonsense and be patted on the head and told, well done. It kills my investment, immersion, fun, and makes me feel like I've wasted my time. Here is my approach on preparing the one true answer mysteries. Content warning for light gore and fan fiction. First, the one true answer mystery, you need to have one true answer. It's usually murder, so let's address the murder elephant in the room. Kim killed Stu. Kimmy did, Kimmy did not kill Stu. To the best of our <clears throat> knowledge, at the time of this recording, Stu was just fine. Kimmy did not kill him. This is fan fiction. They were having a Happy Jacks meeting in the old studio where Kimmy beats Stu to death with a gaming book. All right, now we're just, we're, we're getting there. Now to it, it's at least possible. Players. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. If you've seen how frustrated she is, and yeah. then check the mics. Muttering, <laughs> muttering to herself and writing in a little book. I mean, she hasn't done it. She, she definitely has done it. Stu is fine, yeah. He, he's fine. He's fine. He's absolutely fine. Now to convey that to your players, you need clues. I would make a list of clues to throw out at my players like Scooby Snacks. A broken horse key ring with Stu's blood on it. This points to Kimmy as the murderer, but it doesn't outright say it's her. It allows players to feel clever for making the connection between horses and Kimmy when you introduce her with more and more horse girl coding. The floor is bleached and far cleaner than the rest of the studio. It shows Kimmy's perfectionist nature, and the contrast shows that there was something off here. Blood on the underside of the studio chairs and table. Kimmy may have bleached the floor and maybe the walls, but she didn't think about the furniture. This confirmed that something went down here. The murder weapon. It's a gaming book that a fan had sent in years ago to have everyone sign and sent back to him, which Stu keeps forgetting to send back. <laughs> so, so very possible. Because the best parts of fan fiction are pulling from reality. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, it's hitting pretty close to home, but let's... <laughs> there's, a, there's, a, there's a checklist somewhere that has every single box tick. <laughs> the, the listener can show up to reclaim their book, and it's the only TTRPG book missing. Maybe Stu managed to rip a page out in the struggle, and it ended up in the trash with Stu's blood on it when Kimmy was tidying afterwards. If you really need to hit the players with a clue by four, it can be the page that Kimmy signed. That isn't really a clue, because Stu just happened to rip out his murderer's name while being attacked is implausible, but it looks like a clue, and that's good enough. Blood on the doorknob. Stu's blood. Kimmy's fingerprints. Simple, traditional clues. For fingerprints, Kimmy's prints can't be on file, so the players have to get a sample of her fingerprints to compare. Keep the PCs active. You could always go for a more dramatic enter and exit. Rope dangling from a skylight. A broken window. Glass broken outwards show that they were let in and broke out. But Kimmy using the door showed that the killer was trusted maybe had their own key, and not some over-the-top assassin. Try not to make things too complicated. Kimmy is smart enough to, as a PC to lure Stu into the middle of the desert and kill him there, but that doesn't add anything. There's no personal connection. 
There's no reason for your players to ever find it. Keep it simple. You might want to have Kimmy not have time to bleach, so there is faded blood stained with a clear book-shaped clean spot in the middle. That's where I'm going to stop. Who'd like I'll to pick in. up? Okay. What happens next? Kimmy gets rid of the body. She's, you, she uses a full-body cosplay she had in the back of her car to transport him to her house. Why her house? The desert is still too complicated. She buries him under the new studio. Stu is fine. Kimmy has not killed him. He's fine. Quiet down there. Yes. To further cover up her crime, she convinces her techie husband to deepfake Stu into a few podcasts afterwards. <laughs> Happily handing the podcast to Kimmy, securing it for other possible pretenders. That gives you a handful of more clues. Neighbors of both witnessing Kimmy with a cosplay buddy who seemed drunk, uh, felt from the costume and stews, Kimmy's car, and a new studio. Blood in Kimmy's car. Baby under the baby car seat, if you are keeping your Kimmy clever enough to be covering it up. The murder weapon in Kimmy's car or house or work locker. Maybe Kimmy has reprint, repainted her car recently to have a horse on it. <laughs> Typical Kimmy. Uh, the clue does double duty, implying that Kimmy is covering something up and codifies her as a horse girl. If you're running with supernatural elements, maybe Stu's ghost is the <laughs> origin of the audio issues on the new podcast. Yeah, uh, that, that was a quick exorcism we did when, when it wasn't working a minute ago. Light exorcism. The players could even use that to communicate with him. Stu's videos are deep faked, but you have to foreshadow that. Kimmy could be showing a scene from Wonder Woman with herself deep faked in after Galaxy Hot. She'll happily show it off to the players because it's cool. What went wrong? Kimmy didn't know that Stork Stock was around. He just went to get drinks when she came in. He came back, saw the murder, and hid, fearing he'll be next. Now he is guilt-ridden for not doing anything to save his friend and terrified of Kimmy, appearing in the podcast less and less. He may be a little bit of a red herring finding one of his dice on the kitchen floor, which he dropped when he fled the wraith of the hunger former athlete. Yes, if, of course, landed on a one. <laughs> this gives you a witness who wants to get Kimmy, but has a reason to not come forward within the information. Stock can point out, point you players to Kimmy, can point your players to Kimmy through subtle clues, mysterious messages, or if your players are really struggling, come forward offering to tell them what he knows if the players can protect him. Now, Stork has just been very busy with work. It's been very yeah. difficult. It's not because he's on the show less and less because he fears for his life. No, that's not it at all. <clears throat> it doesn't have to be a witness. Maybe Kimmy got in a ticket while in Stu's placing her there during the time of the murder. Maybe Stu managed to turn the audio recording on during the fight. Stu survived long enough to send a message to me, we pointing the finger at Kimmy until he loses too much blood. And of course, a point of motive that I find overlooked is why now? Yes, Kimmy wants complete control over Happy Jacks and have been siphoning responsibility for the years, but why suddenly under Stu now? What murder Stu now? The baby she had, the baby. She just had a child, so she can't keep, can't be driving back and forth from Stu's. Her seat of power must be in her home to care for her child and also to keep an ever-watchful eye on her happy minions. <laughs> you want to take over from there? Yeah. You could have paperwork and slack logs of Kimmy taking control of Happy Jacks. Casually have the host talking about how much Kimmy misses the baby when she was coming to this vice show at Stu's. Are these too many clues? Maybe. It's better to have more clues than what you need because your players don't have your list of clues. 
They may get hyper-focused on looking in Stu's yard for footprints. You don't have a footprint clue, but you can give them the horse key ring of costume felt. It's a reward for the effort. They have to work out the context. I wouldn't hide clues behind roles, but in situations where you want roles, give them the information before the role. On a good role, they get additional information or can ask a question. And on bad roles, something they do endangers them, alerts the murderer of the investigation or offers some other bump in the road. Again, the players don't have your list of clues. They may get hyper-focused on a red herring of their own design, which, considering there hasn't been a red herring yet, I understand that. Unlike red herrings of your own design, like Stork leading back to Kimmy, these are useless to you. If you shut them down immediately, it may feel like a railroad as the GM is not allowing room for mistakes. But if you let it go on too long, it's disrespecting your player's time. Find players who made the connection with the supervillain was the son of a dead superhero, the astronaut. This was wrong. The villain just wanted a MacGuffin that the astronaut had. I shut this down when the players were looking into this theory, and they found out the astronaut was gay and never adopted. This, of course, doesn't rule out the possibility of rule out every possibility of a gay man fathering or being a father figure in a child's life, but it was enough of a stop sign to tell the players they were barking up the wrong tree and that they felt like they achieved something by disproving a theory. Let them earn finding out the red herrings are gay astronauts. Keep feeding them clues. If they really need it, someone can throw a costume party and Kimmy can show up as a villainess and drink red wine. You want the PCs to solve it. Reactive or active. Next, I would work out what Kimmy's concerns are during the game. What kind of a threat is she? Is she a reactive threat? She just wants to be getting on with her life as the unrivaled, as unrivaled of Happy Jacks. Here she is trying to cover her tracks and get on with her life. For that, I would make some of the aftermath happen during the game. She might be introduced clean out. She may might be introduced cleaning out the back of her car, maybe highlighting the gaming book with splotches of what maybe what looks like baby food and felt from the costume you set the scene. Kimmy will be drawing the piece's attention away from the evidence. Depending on pacing and how quickly you're picking up on clues, you can make Kimmy more active. Misleading the players is in character, but with each mislead, you want something to point back to Kimmy. If everyone had horse key rings, they would be told that Kimmy bought them in bulk for giving them to hosts. She might even try to kill the PCs if she feels cornered, but that should be saved for close when you're ready to bring this case to a close. Wait a minute, was one of those lunchboxes? Because Kimmy was giving away an awful lot of those lunchboxes. Yeah, my key ring in there. I just love the fact that apparently Kimmy is essentially Tina from Bob's Burgers. <laughs> Picking up on this. If she's an happy, active threat, Happy Jacks is just a step in her evil plans. She has set her sights on the next target, Matthew Mercer. She has an Abria as a plant hosting in their mini campaign. For this, plot like you would a regular ongoing threat. It gives Kimmy an end goal and the players a ticking clock to stop the killer from striking again. I would reuse many of the same props and themes as in the stew mystery. Have the horse key ring come into play. Have copy of the VODs with the, the vids with the host deep faked as Matthew Mercer as Kimmy is trying to work out who will be here imposter Mercer. <laughs> Have paperwork on the aspects of the critical role company that Kimmy took over at Happy Jacks in one of Kimmy's drawers. If you need to be more obvious, dartboard with Mercer's face on it. <laughs> Subtle. Mm-hmm. Suspects. Nine is hard mode. Never go more. It's harder for the GM, too. A mystery where the killer is either one of two people could be brilliant because you can go so much deeper into the psychology and other detail because your characters are more likely to remember who they are. Here we have Kimmy, Stork, and Abria. Let's add Tabby and Rose. Tabby wears a lot of black and has survival skills. Seems like a plausible killer, but looking at the evidence, it doesn't fit him. Also, he has no obvious motive. Rose has motive. She's been a fan forever and only now a host and player under the new regime. She has no means, and her alibi of being in Alaska is pretty solid. 
Stork and Abria will be suspicious, but both willing to sell out Kimmy when push comes to shove, though Abria would make an awesome mini-boss, so maybe she is loyal. <laughs> I don't know that Abria would take the position of mini-boss, but, but perhaps yeah. in, this, in this fantasy fan fiction that never actually possibly would happen, sure, we could say that this Abria is happy being a mini-boss. All right, alibis. This is what I get, Gygaxian. You need to know what the PC NPCs are doing during the time of the murder. This would be the first thing out of your player's mouths otherwise. You need lies for Kimmy and Stork. The lies should be disprovable, a vague enough to question. Kimmy taking her child to see the horses is an alibi where neither the ch- horse or the infant child are viable witnesses and give bonus clues to what Kimmy wants to spend time with her child and likes horses. The others should have alibis that are easy to confirm, except one. Maybe Tappy uh, was shopping at Hot Topic. Sorry. <laughs> and, li- and lied to hide his mall goth ways, but applying further pressure will reveal the truth. Side note, Tappy as mall goth makes me happier than anything I've read in a long time. I've been my friend for years, and I think it's fucking fantastic. <laughs> he was my roommate for two years, and this makes me laugh more than anything I think I've read in this entire thing. And when all uh. fails, if it gets to the point where the PCs are going to point the finger at the wrong person, have Kimmy strike again. Oh, poor Matt. It can be the suspect, <laughs> or the PCs are with the suspect. Kill Kadave. He's a lovable NPC that will reinforce the PCs to find the real killer. Kadave is fine. He knew something can only whisper or give the PCs one clue before dying. I am personally not a fan of killing NPCs without letting the players have a chance to save them. In a case like this, they can save Kadave, but he's in a coma and can't speak or has memory problems and might still be able to give a clue but he can't give away the answer. This is a lot. Boy, howdy. <laughs> and I totally get why someone wouldn't want to do all this. You just need to prep the parts you don't improvise and then take notes on what you improvise because if things aren't considered, your players are going to take that as a clue. Or if you're my friends, they'll just rule your game outright in the first session. <laughs> as someone who struggles with the note-taking in-game, I prep ahead. And now I will depart. If there are no more emails from me, I have come far too close to the truth. Happy sleuthing. Steffi from Scotland, at Steffi on the Discord. Wow. I love that. I only have one note. (laughs) Always, always, whenever your players are going to suspect someone, that person needs to die. They need to be ready to barge in there and be like, you did it. Oh, crap, they're dead. We're way off. And they have to reevaluate all their clues. I think an even better way to handle this. Now, granted, I'm probably older than you guys. The movie Clue. What's that? Is that on uh, (laughs) Apple? (laughs) I'm just fucking... Do something like that where you actually role play out one ending, and if it's wrong, but it may have happened like this, and then do it again. <laughs> oh, that would be a lot of fun. <laughs> that would probably be the way I'd like to handle that, because if they guess wrong, you reset to a certain point, try again, and then until you do get to the end where you guys actually got it. And then well, you, can even, you can even throw in the communism was a red herring joke, because why the hell not? Well, the consequences are interesting, right? They're one of the things that can be really a motivator to player characters when they actually see consequence for what they do. If they chose the wrong person, let them choose the wrong person. The wrong person gets incarcerated and something happens that expands the story elsewhere. I don't think that it's necessarily a given that the characters will either succeed or fail at that. I think that it's just sort of a segue into further storytelling if they do. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of super prep and I, I never have. But when it comes to investigation or mystery type games there is a lot more prep that goes along with that because my personal thinking is is what you do is you you solve the mystery backwards right you actually visualize the entire crime as it goes along 
And as you visualize that, you just know what the situation was. And that allows you to, on the spot, sort of create convenient clues, depending on where the characters want to focus. There's an entire generation of us role players that have dealt with the perception role problem (laughs) for like ever. Because how do you ask for a perception role and not make the player character figure something's going on? And also, bad perception roles just completely stymie your entire mystery solving situation. Because, trust me, I've had it happen when there was like a series of ones and twos and at a critical time where they were supposed to pick up some information, the dice basically sort of conspired against them. So it, once you go through that, you really hate the idea of making things pivotal on a die roll. I really like the poster's idea of basically giving them information and then depending on the die roll is whether they have a consequence or they have bonus information. I think that's genius and is definitely something that can be incorporated in, into a lot of situations in a game. Agreed. To your point about watching the murder and then working backwards from that. There's a show that I've been binging called Poker Face. Mm, oh, yeah. exactly that. So if you need some research material, you see how it's done. Oh, good. I, I've been planning on, on watching that. The main address for that is somebody that I've been a fan of for a while. So good. For a while. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Hold on. I'm just going to call Stu real quick. <laughs> no, no, no. There's no need to do that. His We're, line's busy. We have a lot of yeah. show to get through. We've got guests. I mean, Jim, Jim, don't call Dave or Stork either, just saying. Okay. They're gaming together in, in the desert. Yeah. I thought the desert was complicated. No, no, no. They're gaming together on a, a farm upstate where they can run free. <laughs> I, I don't know. I like anyone. the desert because Tappy knows how to dispose of bodies in the desert, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> he does it by now. He should. <laughs> He's the kind of uh, shopper that can pick up some lie real easy. So, yeah. (laughs) Hey, I just want to say, Steffi, thank you so much for that email. It Mm -hmm. was huge and entertaining, and we're getting a ton of entertainment out of it just on the whole Kimmy killed Stu thing. So, thanks. This was perfect. I think this has legs. This is going to go somewhere. You you should make this a module. Just say. Absolutely. (laughs) If you have any inkling towards being a a designer, write a module like this. We'll run it at the con. Yeah. Yeah. There's yes. a, a PBTA hack right here. Right. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking this would be a great Lady Blackbird hack, but never mind. Okay, next. <laughs> I'm already thinking about it. It's just the whole idea is brilliant. Oh, yeah. All right. I'll grab mailbag too. Hello, Kimmy and whoever you have suckered in being on the show this week. Well, it's not Kimmy. It be my ship, Verk. So I do not take orders from anyone. With many people upset, With the Dragon game and its greedy corporate overlords, many people are looking for other games. So this got me thinking, what should we, as players of other systems, be suggesting to them? Not everyone is ready for Fishblade. I shall henceforth only refer to story-hippie non-trag games as Fishblade-style games. (laughs) Fair. Okay, hang on. I'm sorry. Is Fishblade something I should look up? Yes. Okay, fantastic. Make a note of that. You should look up Fishblade. The deep well that is Fishblade. (laughs) I mean, I'm already kind of sold just on the name. So I think that this brings up the problem. Many current players of D&D are just playing it because they've never played other types of games. These people clearly are ready for some of the Fishblade style game. We can suggest to them and they will likely be overjoyed to try something new. However, others really enjoy the type of game D&D is. They play it because they like a strong rule structure. They like that there's a million splat books to get new classes and feats. They like the feeling of tactical combat, and they like the feeling of progression. So here's my question. 
What are we suggesting to those people? And no, you can't say Pathfinder. Starfinder. <laughs> 13th age. Oh, yeah. Virk from DC, dreaming about in and out. P.S. Janeway, worst captain in Starfleet, or just written, no, 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 or just written badly, drink. Okay. I agree with that second point. Written badly, but not the worst uh, captain. Definitely in not the worst, because Kirk exists. All right. So you were saying 13th age? 13th, 13th age RPG. It's very D&D. It's got, and actually uses a, probably the same system. When I played it, it was strength, dex, con, that, that kind of thing. But that's a good option. Also, what's it? Luminera? Numenera? Numenera. Yes. That has all of the crunch elements that you want to see that exist in a, a D&D game. The setting is vastly different and super cool because it's one of those sort of like He-Man sort of things. There's technology, but it's a fantasy setting type of thing, which is great. You can always go with Savage Worlds in fantasy. Your generic systems are always great. GURPS fantasy works well. I'm going to slide in here and say Savage Worlds Pathfinder. <laughs> Get around our Pathfinder description. Sidestep it. <laughs> also, you can always go back into the OSR movement because arguably speaking, a lot of people would say that first edition D&D is probably the best version of D&D because it's, it's intentionally clunky and, and has all these fun elements and is definitely a game that's very focused on that dungeon dive thing. It's sort of what it's solely designed to do, right? But there's Osric is a great thing and it's free for download and it's basically sort of like a, a rehash of first edition. Looking into old school revival stuff is always a great option if you want to move on to something that's very D&D but isn't D&D 5th. Let's see. Mike, can you think of any cool ones? I'm, I'm sorry, just looking at my uh, shelf. Really. <laughs> see, it's always the Palladium role-playing game, but you, could, you wouldn't have any fun playing that. <laughs> <laughs> no one enjoys that game. Who makes 13 Age? Is that Green Ronin? No, I don't believe so. Hold on, I'm looking up right now. So there's an Age one. So there's something Dragon Age. Age. Dragon Age, yeah. Dragon, Dragon Age. Age, yeah. Dragon Age. Actually, that's based on the video game, and the system for that is really, really nice. Yes. Uh, well, it's a D6 baked system that's really cool. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm aware of it because of my love for Pel- the Expanse RPG. So, but uh, yeah, Peregrine Press is the one that does 13. Oh, Peregrine, that's yeah. Okay. yeah. I just bought that bundle, but I haven't cracked into it yet because I'm working on other things. It's a beautiful book, too. Really I mean, is. if we're just specifically talking fantasy, and I can't really think, I mean, you've kind of covered all the basics there. Those are the... Well, so, you know, there's also, if you want to go deep dive, I mean, there's a lot of the other more hippie, hippie, hippie games that, that we're talking about. Like, you can run a Fate fantasy game, and there's also, what, there's oh, a there's Dungeon setting World. for Fate. Dungeon uh, World. For, uh, the One Ring, a free league. Yeah, One Ring is fantastic. Yep. All those years are good, but if you're looking for fantasy specifically, that's one of their fantasy elements. But Also, if you are really into the tactical combat aspects, I'm probably going to get booed for this, but D&D 4th Edition Ooh. is very great for that. Yeah, See, well, that's what it was, right? It, it, yeah, it's it's generally it was, yeah. was a tactical game. Yeah, it no, really right. was. It was a, it was a right. board game. It's, a, it's the logical extension of Chainmail as a role-playing game is what it was. Yeah. Right. But people didn't want to hear it. No. So I'm, I'm going to ask a question here. We've been great at listing off a whole bunch of different options, but what are people's experience with playing those games, and why would you recommend them personally? Personally, I find Savage Worlds to be one of the best blends crunch and narrative out there right now, along with Cortex Prime. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the new the, one that's come out is the, so good. Yeah, it's fantastic. And uh, I find those two particular games to be so incredibly flexible in being able to tell just about any story that you want. Cortex Prime being particularly great at being at letting storyteller 
craft the theme of the game within the baked system because it's so modular. And there, although there are a lot of rules to the system, they're sort of like kind of different in the fact that they're not solely based on task resolution, but also on being able to spend bennies on being able to take narrative control every once in a while yeah. and do some of those things that allow the player character to be more in the driver's seat of the narrative, which is really what makes these quote unquote sort of uh, hippie games hippie is that a lot of times the, the game's mechanics are far more focused on allowing the player character to be more involved in the, in the storytelling and be part of the selection of narrative versus I think D&D, it's a little bit more difficult to do that. I think it's far more of a conversation between the GM and the player character. And I think that the, the other games have a little bit more fluidity in that conversation between the GM and the player characters. So when it comes to Savage Rules and Cortex Prime, I highly recommend them just because I think they're incredibly flexible and fun and allow you to do so much within the game. But also the reason I brought up 13th Age is because it is basically D&D. It, it has some elemental changes to, to it, but not so much systemically. It's more of the setting that really sets the thing off. So I find it to be a really cool little transition between, so here's something kind of new, but very, very familiar to what you've had before. Same thing with Numenaria, because mechanically speaking, it's complexity-wise, it's very similar to your D&D 5th edition, but it sort of sense, tends to focus on, on different aspects of the character and what you can do. And the fact that the setting is so unique and different that I think that'll capture the imagination of a lot of the players. Yeah, it so, always seemed like Thundar, the barbarian. Yes. To date myself. <laughs> no, shit. no, no. With Ukla the Mock and Ariel the Sorcerer. Are, are you kidding me? That's one of my favorite cartoons of all time. <laughs> I used it to run a She-Ra game, so just saying. <laughs> yeah, no, no, but like She-Ra, like I said, He-Man when I first brought it up, Thundar the Barbarian, all those kinds of things. That That's the kind of storytelling you can get. Very, actually has kind of a Gamma World feel to it. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah definitely Gamma. Gamma World. And actually, the, there's a new version of Gamma World that's actually really fun, too, if you wanted to stay with original TSR products <laughs> from back in the day. Personally, my favorite TSR product was Star Frontiers. And, and, yeah, I never uh, got to actually play that one, but I remember seeing it at the game store every time when I'd walk in as a kid. Uh, Nighthawk's Inception, I can't get it to show on the camera, stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have witnessed Jim running that game for people, so... So, Mike, uh, what's something that you've played, and why do you recommend that? So I'm putting you on the spot. There it is. Well, let's see. I actually have very little experience, at least with the the fantasy realm myself. Uh-huh. Because my parents, my mother specifically, totally bought into the Satanic Panic. So while I was uh-huh. in high school, I could 100% play Rifts and Robotech, but I could not play D&D. <laughs> <laughs> and so, which actually was why I was making fun of the Palladium RPG, because that was... Rifts or Robotech was my entry into role-playing to begin with. Sure. So I grew up knowing all of the Palladium stuff very, very well until I got to a place where they played real games and he said, oh, this is all terrible. Yeah, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness was one of my first, and we also mm-hmm. played Robotech. So There were so bent. many cool things in that game, Yes, but the system was so bad. Yeah. And I didn't well, know I, this. At I like time. to call it systems. Because there are literally three methods of die rolling in that game. You had oh, percentile, you had oh. D20, you had damage dice. It's like every single system that was out there, they sort of just like just compressed it into one. That's what and, Palladium did. Yeah, well, and, and not to get off topic, but the thing is, is that one of the things that I found I like more when you get away from the level-based stuff is the freeform thing. Mm-hmm. Like the first time I had to make a Shadowrun character was mind-blowing, where it's like, well, here are all the points to do a thing. There is no class. There is no nothing. You buy the stats you want, the gear you want, the skills you want. Now, that's a lot. 
Right. If uh, you want to be a gunslinger who also shoots firebolts from their fingers, great. Do that. Yeah. The shadow run was was a thing to do that. It was one of the first ones that really that I came across that actually gave the ability to do exactly what you wanted. If you're looking for the fine middle ground, Five Rings. Legend of the Five Rings was a great game that still has. If you're trying to do, I guess the D and D structure where mm-hmm. you have a class. Okay, you you have a basic structure. You know, you're a Bushi or you Shugenjo or whatever, and you have where you start, and then there's a level progression, so you still get that, assuming you live, because that game is super deadly. Mm-hmm. But there's that kind of stuff. That's probably one of the few medieval game or fantasy games that I've played, because I've actually played a considerable amount of, of D&D 3, 3.5, and, and a little bit of 5. Okay. Primarily because I've also found that any game is fun given the right people. Right. Even d d It's the yes. table. It's all it, it is. Oh, yeah, it is. absolutely. It is. I was going to say, like, you could just go back to 3.5. There are so many subclasses and prestige classes and what have you to kind of sink your teeth in and see where you came from. Yeah. But also at the same time, something like like Jim was saying about, like, either Savage Rules or GURPS is one of those ones where you can construct exactly what you're looking for. Whereas I haven't played, like, a fantasy, not that I can remember, of Savage Worlds. I have played Savage Worlds in a historical Roman setting, and that was amazing. It was so good for that. I've played a considerable amount of of Deadlands. There's another one that if you like to piecemeal your character and build them without necessary levels, per se. So if you're familiar with Chaosium and Call of Cthulhu. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's also RuneQuest. Oh, yes. I used to play RuneQuest with my buddy Paul all the yeah. time. And one of the best ways, systems for skill advancement I, that I've ever seen. It's super fun. But another aspect of this, too, and one of the cool things about GURPS and other games, too. Talk to your table. What kind of IPs do they love? Are they Star Wars fans? Are they Lord of the Rings fans? Are they Harry Potter fans? Are they any of these fandoms that we all adore? Which one is the strongest with them? And there's probably a game that goes along that. And it's so easy to draw players into a game for something. Hey, look, I want to run a Star Wars game. And everybody just like, it's like, you know, watch the first episode of the third season of Mandalorian. And they got like a major itch to play something like that. Then it's like, hey, here's a Star Wars role-playing game. Let's play that. And you can just draw people into a new game just because they want to play Han Solo or Luke Skywalker, and you can let them. And that's the beauty about RPGs is that your imagination is the only limit. That's it. Well, and it's nice, especially from the the new player, or let me phrase that, not the new player. Let's go with, on the email, the player looking to expand their horizons. Okay, if you have a cultural shorthand like, I like The Expanse, or I like said Star Wars, or or Star Trek, or mm-hmm. any anything, they're there. Somebody has that property and has made a, a series of books for it. In a lot of cases, especially like in the form of Star Wars, West End, Fantasy Flight, there's the old D20 Star Wars. Oh, so good. Oh, how many others are there? I mean, the and Ghostbusters. they're all... Dude, oh West God. End games. West End system was my favorite one and always will be. Bucket of Dice. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, Bucket of Dice. It's great. Now, if you want something that's like IP focused, but not from the main studio, I got the chance to play, and this is also a little fourth edition for those of you that like that kind of thing, Zelda Reclaiming the World. <clears throat> That's Zelda Reclaiming the Wild. It is a fan-made game. It's very tactile in the way you move because they try to replicate like movement in okay. the game. So I recommend picking that up. And I think it's free right now because they can't charge for it. But it's really fun. Also, there are a lot of 40K RPGs if you like miniatures and tactical oh, yeah. play. Oh, yeah. And, and Warhammer Fantasy Battle. The, yeah. Uh, the RPG. Uh, yeah. And actually, and the, the one that versions of both of those as well, the one that I highly recommend, and if you really like tactical play and want to integrate that into your role playing game, the War Machine and Hordes RPG is literally oh, completely Iron compatible Kingdoms, yeah. with the tabletop game. Iron Kingdoms, uh, yeah. Yeah. Iron Kingdoms 
I believe they moved back to a D20 system, but they had a, a thing of it where the system basically exactly mirrored the mini system and you'd actually use the minis from the game. And it was extremely tactical. And the world that they built around that is actually quite wonderful and very rich. So a lot of options in there too. Yeah, that's something that chapped my hide about, what is it, Fantasy Flight? Because they had the Star Wars IP. They made the Star Wars RPG. They had tactical games, but you couldn't just take your character from the RPG and then insert them into the tactical games that they had. It was like, oh, yeah. come on, you have, I've got four different sets of dice for four different games. It's all Star Wars, all by the same company. Come on. Exactly. Uh, and they're all well, custom games. There is custom somebody dice. who did, although to that point, though, there's somebody who made it to where you could put your character in the Imperial Assault board game version of it. Oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Because that's the one that actually fit that the most anyway, because that game was great. But Wookie fingers. You monster. <laughs> How dare you? I don't you can always go Battletech, where literally you can scroll down to two guys having a fistfight in the alley, all the way up to nuking entire planets from orbit. And it scales from one end to the other all, all the way true. up. I didn't play long, but one of my favorite non-D&D fantasy games is actually the uh, Hero Fantasy. Because I'm a big fan of the hero system. It is super crunchy for making characters, but the actual play, I think, is pretty quick. But there's a it's front-loaded a lot. But in that, it was just like a really nasty, gritty, can-be-very-lethal system. And I greatly enjoyed the time I got to play in that. Yeah. Well, also games like Traveler, where character creation is... I have a game running at Con right now that's eight hours. It's four hours for Traveler character generation. Than four hours for the actual game. Yeah. Okay. We've given like a thousand ideas. Can we go around the table real quick? And everyone just says, what is your the one that you would champion? So if we're going to give one idea, I would say give 3.5 a try because it's already there and it's mostly free. Nick, what about you? Well, if, I think we were already talking about what our favorites is and what, why we would recommend them. Was it already our favorites? I thought we were really giving us like more list. No, I would say if you really like the crunch and you want to delve right down into your character, Mm-hmm. hero system all the way and hero it's system. a universal system but the fantasy hero is is a lot of fun i would champion year zero year zero so because there's just the thing is so having multiple versions of year zero the cool thing is is that they've made changes at least in the four versions or so that i have there's minor changes from one to the other to capture a specific feel and you can just very easily take that and run with it and make something new with it so i have blade runner alien Tales from the Loop, Twilight 2000. There's one more I can't think of right now. But yeah. Year Zero. Yeah, Year Zero. Year Zero would be the system that I would use for that. Jim, how about you? Uh, 2D20 from Modiphius, uh, specifically the Conan. Yeah, I I know we're going to go that route. That's why I left it for you, because the Modiphius system is awesome. That 2D20 mechanic is fantastic. I love it. It's so fun. The momentum mechanic is fantastic. Yeah. The actual Conan RPG book was meticulously researched and actually... A lot of the uh, former authors and artists that contributed to a lot of the a lot of the Conan stuff and the actual uh, Howard uh, Foundation helped in the production of that book. The art is amazing. The lore is amazing. It's and being a huge Ari Howard and Conan fan, and if, that being like my intro into fantasy from yeah, when yeah. I was a kid. And not only that, but the two D twenty system is just amazing in its crunch and complete and total fantastic character narrative control over certain situations and being able to help each other. And it, it's just a great system. So if you're moving from D&D to another thing and you want to stick with fantasy, Conan Modiphius all the way. I'm ashamed that I forgot I had played in your Conan Modiphius games. Specifically that one con game where Jim likes to recreate Shakespeare and Conan. 
I would literally just go to the bookstore and I would look at the Cliff's Note Shakespeare section. I'd close my eyes and pull one at random. And that would be the adventure that I'd run in a Conan setting. I would just re- reframe it to a Conan setting. And two were... barbarians of Verona. Exactly. I had played, played two of them. They were fantastic. They were great. Yeah. I think the, the Hamlet one was the best one with the splitting of the witch in two with the sword. Yeah. The, the thing is, is that, <laughs> that was one of those ones where the players who played in that game bought into it. And that game at every point, both because of the players and because of the just the wild ass die rolls we got was perfect. Everything happened exactly as it should have. And it was amazing. Yeah, it was one of those magic times where everything swung the right way, you know. But yeah, that would be my recommendation. 2D20 systems. Fantastic. Cool. I love these suggestions. And you guys gave me stuff that I'm going to have to look up. If nothing else, the Conan book sounds amazing just to, as a reference guide. It is. It's a fantastic read. If you're all interested in what Conan, like the actual novels are, oh, yeah, it's yeah, an yeah. amazing book. Oh, yes. Cool. It's as good to Conan as like the latest Judge Dredd book was to 80, or 82,000 was to Judge Dredd. The game was terrible, but as a resource, it was right. fantastic. <laughs> Sorry to all the fans of 82,000 out there. All three of you. Well, you know. <laughs> now the, 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 hey, you know, Kevin, they, you know they do get this across the pond, right? Yeah, well, so. Kevin Sibetia doesn't have to get a real job, so there are people who enjoy terrible things. Don't worry yeah, about but, it. Yeah, but see, here's the thing. If I insult them, then they're going to write emails and we turn it into content. So that's, this was a plan. <gasps> Oh, no. Uh, modern problems require modern solutions. No, read the chat. That's terrible. <laughs> uh, hey, Jim, Mephidius lost the Conan license recently, so get the books while you still can. Oh, no. Uh, Mad okay. Rush. Good, good, uh, good tip. Uh, well, you have them, and so do I, but, you know, whatever. You guys, you should get them. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. No, I'll, I'll definitely look at that. But there are a lot of other options for two, the 2D20 system, actually. the Also, the Mutant Chronicles version uh, part oh, uh, system. Freaking yeah. awesome. Yeah. Mutant Chronicles, it, the best thing about that entire game was the story, and they got it so well in this system. But there's a lot of 2D20 offerings out there that, that are all fun. Agreed. All right. So who wants Mailbag 3? I can take it. I'll take it. I haven't really done anything yet, so I'll go ahead and okay. read it. All right. So this one is... Uh, we don't have a from on this? Apparently not. Blake. Okay. Blake. It's at the bottom. Blake. All right, Blake. Here's what you got to say. How I got started in RPGs. July 1989. Friend from school invited me to play an AD&D 2E campaign. GM ran the weekly game, and we got to react. Ongoing NPCs got equal spotlight and time. I really enjoyed the first few sessions, so I started buying the RPG books from Interstate and reading them. First year, we played AD&D 2E, 2E Role Master, Champions, and Space Master. Champions, nice. that's nice. a hero. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> a Role Master is fun, too. They had a great crit table. After a while, I noticed a pattern for every game longer than three sessions. The GM and half the group would be play, playing a side campaign with evil characters. These evil characters would be working against the main game characters, stealing their stuff, mind controlling the NPC contacts, poisoning their families, etc. <laughs> I like how he ends up poisoning their families, etc. <laughs> with the benefit of using player knowledge for their evil characters' benefit. The people in the evil game started to brag about how awesome their evil characters' achievements and general prowess was. So I'm searching through my RPG books trying to figure out what I'm missing. There was nothing about side evil games in, in any of them. It got to the point where they had evil characters in the main game and actively tried to screw over everything we did, and the GM encouraged this. Keep in mind, these days gaming was cooperative storytelling and there were no safety tools or session zero. After three years, I left that group, glad to be less frustrated knowing that games can be better. I'm not against morally challenged characters, but there is a way to do that where everyone's involved and can enjoy themselves. Blake. Absolutely. I mean, that 
part, like the big thing for me was not just that there was a side game that you weren't necessarily invited to, because that always is a bunch of FOMO, but they were using player knowledge to activate their yeah. evil NPCs. Like, you got to keep that separate, because otherwise, if these evil characters are omniscient in terms of the game world, then yeah, A, why is it fun for them? And B, that you're completely unbalanced. Agreed. I think a year and a half, I had two groups of players that couldn't play at the same time. So I had one table running one day, one table running the other day. And I set it up so that one was chasing the other group. So one was like trying to overthrow the kingdom because they thought, oh, it was unjust. And the other team was made up of heroes trying to stop these rebels who are trying to destabilize the community and everything. Okay. And it was great because thankfully they didn't overlap and they also didn't know they were both playing in my games together until they were hanging out one day talking and they started piecing together like, oh, I can't believe we did this in this town. They're like, you were in that town? We just killed somebody from that town. You did. <laughs> it just it blew up in my face. It was a whole lot of fun though. Two stories on that. One <laughs> was my buddy ran a uh, Mech Warrior game and when we were doing our session zero, he waited for us to like either split off and go get something to drink and then he'd catch up with us and just pull us aside very surreptitiously and go, all right, do you serve the country or do you serve the king? What is your choice? You know, and everybody answered the way that they thought their character would be. At the climax of the game, the game split up into two factions, depending on what how they answered that question at oh, the very sweet. beginning of the game. Because it turned into a situation where do you support the coordinator or you try to save Kurita as a nation? Because that was what was going on. We're special forces ninja guys, right? And the crazy thing about it is that there were eight players in this game. It split up evenly 4-4, just out of happenstance. And things went down. There was a hand basket with a, a weapon of mass destruction running around. And it was changing <laughs> side to side. My good buddy Kay, he came around the corner. And I had a guy that just said Zen, like, Aijitsu skills and chopped his head clean off. And the GM's like, Kay, were you wearing your helmet at the time? He goes, no, dude, I wouldn't be wearing my helmet. <laughs> and it was one of the great, <laughs> one of those great sort of like, he let his character die because it was just perfect for the story type of situations. And mm -hmm. that was great. So if you're going to make characters fight against each other, it's actually a lot more dramatic when they're basically in the trenches together, cooperating, doing the same thing, being part of the same unit. And then all of a sudden having to split out into two factions and fight for their for their ideals. So it's basically brother versus brother. It was very dramatic and very, very cool. That sounds great. Yeah. Or have it at the same time. I mean, that thing too is having having a player or two working against the group in the group while you're playing all at the same time can also be great. I think Jim's gonna go into that story. Go right ahead, Jim. I think I know which one you're gonna go with next. The the vampire one? That's the one. Another friend of our ran ran a vampire game and he actually just started running two sessions and didn't really tell both parties that, that they were going to end up finalizing the game in a climax. So at the end, both parties show up at the game store to play, and they're like, what the hell's going on? It says, everybody <laughs> sit down. And the thing about it was that we all sat down. It's like, all right. Oh, and then we started talking about what's going on. And then one guy looked at the other guy across the table, and they looked, and they stood up and just switched sides. Because apparently they were working for the other side the entire time. What? Each party had a mole. Nice. And then at the climax, that came through, and then the player characters sort of switched sides, shook hands, and then we went at it and did the whole uh, thing at the end against the Zemis guy. Super interesting and fun way. The entire time, everybody was getting duped in some way, shape, or form, but it was Vampire Dark Age. So there wasn't like cell phones or an immediate com communication. So basically, the whole them trying to, to give information to the other side was actually part of the thing that was difficult to do. 
So yeah, sure. and that was another great example of of having player characters that are working against each other, but are still telling the same story. And it's actually fun and surprising and cool when you finally get that realization. It's like, oh crap, Alan was working against me the entire time. The bastard. Oh, but I think that's the rub, though, in this in the guy's email is the fact that there's half the group was playing the evil people and the good people at the same time in a mm-hmm. different game. And that's, you know, you're right. You're using information you don't have. That's metagaming. It, as, it's yeah, up. exactly. So, yeah. But, you know, as opposed to, so I ran, I ran the a fourth edition Shadowrun game for all my friends where eventually we had, I think, 12 people in the group and whoever was available just played the game. Right. But in that group, I had multiple individuals, I think three total, who were basically working it for themselves. And it was really funny is because my brother-in-law was one of those guys. And now he, as far as horror stories goes, I'm sure he can beat everybody out there because all of his players or his ex-friends that he would play with, their shit got super personal in-game and it spilled over into real life. Like It was oh, no. bad. Like he told me these stories. I'm like, I've that's a thing? People do this? They take this shit that seriously? I was blown away by this. When his character was basically selling out the entire party to the mob in the Shadowrun game, he was convinced everybody of all my friends were going to hate him. And when they figured it out by accident, which is the best part, that he had double-crossed them, they're like, oh, man, that was awesome. Dude, that was so cool that your guy did that. And it, <laughs> he was surprised with it. Like, like, don't get us wrong. We're going to have to kill your character. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But that was cool. Your characters cool. are pissed. Yeah, yeah. But exactly. that was great. And, and so, and, you know, and that's the thing is that, or the, or the other one, or actually, I th- I'm surprised Jim left out the other one, which was the uh, Thulu, right, Jim? Where you, you, everybody was... No, oh, yeah. knew it, but everybody was trying to sacrifice the rest of the party to their god. Ah, nice. <laughs> everybody was doing that. Sure. And yeah. It's like I always like that mechanic in paranoia where you have your own separate yep. for your secret society or your mutation or whatever, trying oh, to yeah. keep it secret, but also trying to further your own goals while screwing everybody else. Mm-hmm. Or, I remember that. Or every game played with Al, because Al's character would do what Al's character wanted to do. Okay. Last story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, please tell me it's the Werewolf Wild West one. No, no, no. The Werewolf Wild West one is great, too. But this one is Legend of the Five Rings. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. So we had a guy playing a lion that was being blackmailed by a cola. And the entire story was revolving around how this character was going to survive this situation, right? Long story short, the character actually just ends up joining the cola and completely ruining the entire part of the narrative. <laughs> just like, that's it. There's nothing I can do about this. I'm just going to go straight up evil. And but the thing is, the character felt bad about it. But so. Me and my buddy Eli, we said, all right, we're going to go up to our diamo. We're going to renounce our clan we're gonna come and become Ronin. And then we go and kill the Colette master that was Black Alien <laughs> and committed seppuku immediately after. And left Perfect. a note says to the lion going, we solved your problem. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. That's great. A well-run Legend of the Five Rings game is a thing of beauty. It is. It is. Well, on that note, I'm going to go to our outro here. Thank you for joining us for Season 31, Episode 15. Please visit gemroomgames.com to support our amazing Indie Designer of the Month, Jennifer Adcock. Also, you can find her games at gen-adcock15.itch.io. I want to thank our wonderful chat mod, James V, and our amazing Patreons who keep us ad-free and independent. You can join their ranks at happyjacks.org Patreon. Of course, that's not required. You're welcome to just tune in, listen to the show, or contribute with an email. We'd love to hear from you. We always are looking for more emails and stories. Tonight, we're going to go ahead and leave you with a song, but before I do that, I'm Nick. I'm Jameson. I'm Mike. And I'm Jim. Great. And tonight's song is The Agincourt Carol by Poxy Boggards. I was uh, corrected on that, so it's not 
Agincourt or Agincourt or Agencourt, but I am going to get all those on tape because screw historical accuracy. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Here we go. Parking went forth to Normandy with grace and might of chivalry. Their God for him wrought marvelously. Wherefore England they call and cry. He set the seeds to for to say to Harper Town with royal array. The town he won and made afraid that France shall rule until doomsday. Deo gratias, Deo gratias, Anglia, Rede pro victoria. Then went our king with all his host, to France fight all the French did boast. He started neither least nor most, till he came to Agincourt coast. Then, forsooth, that comely night, in Agincourt field did manly fight. Through grace of God most mighty, he won both field and victory. Deo gratias, Deo gratias, Anglia, Rede pro victoria. Then dukes and earls, Lord and Baron, were taken, slain, and that well soon. And some were led into London with joy and mirth and great renown. Now, gracious God, he save our king, his people and all his good willing. Give him good life and good ending, that we with mirth may safely sing. Deo gratias, Deo gratias, Anglia, Rede pro victoria. can't believe how close Steffi got to figuring out what happened to Stu. Crazy. This show is a product of the Happy Jacks RPG Network. The Mary Sue's performed our intro music, and our ending song was played with the express permission of the artist. Visit happyjacks.org for more information and to find all our streams and podcasts.